2: Welcome to Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics where the conversation always gives you a foundation that is built on biblical principles so you can intellectually and critically learn to weigh out decisions about life with truth, facts, contradictions and the reality we live in and history. Covers topics like apologetics worldviews, Contemporary culture and the Word of God to help you articulate a defense for how to live your Christian life. See how you can get involved and support throughout all ages fifteen thirty apologetics by visiting ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com. dot That's ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com. dot Now here's your host, Stacy Gaona. Don't you know?
3: And thank you for tuning in this morning. Um, you might be driving home from a late. Um, night event, but thank you for joining us. I know in the past I said that we were doing a series on widowhood. I extended it because I came in contact with a good friend, Jenny, and I wanted to share her story and um, bring in some attorneys. So this is going to be a very informative meeting. First off, I want to say hi. This is Stacy with Throughout All Ages Ministry. We go into the public schools to build up the students' character to intellectually think about their worldview and weigh it with truth. So, right now on the line, I have Jenny and she lo- lost her husband to COVID and hospital protocol. Now, when I say lost our husbands, I lost mine too. We know exactly where our husband is in heaven. Happy, no pain, no sorrow, but we here on earth has lost the most important person of our life, and we're learning to adjust to this new normal, but ultimately, there is nothing normal about this. We believe our husbands were murdered, but in the same sense, we stand on the foundation of the Word of God, and that everything filters Through God. So as we go through this cycle of this story, our testimony, don't put anything in your mind thinking we did not trust God. But we do believe that God numbers our days and he does not take us a day sooner. That's in Job. But justice should be served. There is some illegal acts that are being done. And I want to introduce, thank you so much, Jenny. You know, last week we um, talked about your testimony, and now we're on the second part on how you're on a new journey on reaching out to attorneys. Tell us in that mist, how you reached out to these attorneys, because I have a lot of friends that lost widows, that lost their and widowers, that lost their spouses to COVID. And they're scared to take that step to going and reaching out to attorney. In their minds, they might not think they're not trusting in God. Um, but I as we spoke yesterday, we talked about um, you know, what if your child was raped or murdered? How are we gonna handle that? And they're not in jail and they're running on the streets continuing to rape and murder children. So, with no further ado, Jenny, please um, share about this new journey that you're going down.
4: Well, first I want to say thank you, Stacey, um, for having me on. My voice is one voice, but it represents many. Um, It is a journey. Um, I'm very thankful that I'm making this journey with the Lord. I can't imagine doing this without Him. My husband was the love of my life. Um, he was my best friend, second only to Jesus. Um, we did everything together, and so I know that the peace that I have, which surpasses human understanding, is from God, because by all rights, um, people would understand if I were in my bed with the covers over my head, not wanting to go on, um, but that's not the case. God has strengthened me. Um, I rely on Him. I follow His direction. Um, I want to be a voice for my husband and I want to touch on something that you said just a minute ago, which is there is evil happening in the world. Um, my husband was murdered and I have no qualms about saying that. Um, he was murdered and and so I'm seeking justice. I'm, I'm prayerfully seeking truth and justice.
3: Wonderful, thank you. And how did you find these attorneys? They're based in San Diego, and how did you find them?
4: Well, um, I initially started uh, reaching out on my own um, because, again, I felt like there was an injustice, and I wanted to um, I wanted to right the wrongs, and I wanted to get information out there. So I started seeking out attorneys on my own, and I was. Door after door was closed. Um, they, they were not willing to take a case because they said that there was a protection for the hospitals and doctors. And one attorney said I could check back because things were changing and, and there could be a possibility down the road. Um, but fast forward, I had pretty much given up, and I was praying and asking God. I said, Lord, if you want me to give up on all of this, I will do it. But if not, you need to open a door for me. And and uh, I found former feds.
3: All right. Well, this is um, great information, Jenny. And I am so excited. I don't know how ex- to explain it, but I know God orchestrates everything. And right now in the studio, I have the two attorneys. And this is a big deal. So as you're listening in to throughout all ages ministry— Take a moment, sit back, and listen to what they have to say. We have an attorney, Matthew and Brian, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves and who would like to go first. Thank you so much for being here. Okay, Matthew, go ahead and introduce yourself.
5: Thank you for having us. Uh, My name is Matthew Tyson, and I'm an attorney in La Jolla, California.
3: Okay, super. You're real close to our station. And um, I want to get a picture of how you are going into the, how did you decide to say, I am taking on this case for people who died of COVID? When did you make this decision and how are you going about doing this?
5: Well, as the pandemic went on, I was looking for ways to help and it was affecting my children because of mandates. And I became aware by talking to physicians I knew and reading online about what was going on in hospitals. And, but I was also aware of potential legal hurdles to bringing claims against physicians and hospitals for COVID-related treatment. So I kept my head low for a while, did a lot of deadlifts, and watched and waited for some legal precedent. And legal precedent came out in February of this year where we got federal decisions saying that in California, of all places, the federal PrEP Act may not block state law claims for COVID-related care. So it gave a potential green light to us back in February to pursue claims against physicians and hospitals. And we began looking for patients and family members that we could help who were mistreated. I came into contact at one point with former feds, and they have been amazing in reaching out, finding victims, helping them tell their story, and then helping them find legal assistance throughout the country.
3: So there's not many attorneys out there taking this step.
5: Correct. To my knowledge, uh, my co-counsel, Brian Gary, and I were the first in the country Uh, We filed the first lawsuit back in June for wrongful death related to remdesivir. And uh, we're continuing to try to share our legal theory with other attorneys in other states so that they can try and uh, basically broaden the attack on what the hospitals have done in different states. There are a lot of legal barriers in other states. California, we happen to have been one where we didn't have a shield law where other states have a shield law, which just keeps you out of court. And then we got the favorable rulings on the PREP Act, and that's let us go forward.
3: Right. Well, I'm going to introduce Brian and um, let him introduce himself and tell tell us, the listeners, his role in this.
1: Sure. Good morning. Brian Gary, and uh, I'm also an attorney uh, in San Diego. And I have been representing plaintiffs those that have been hurt by personal injuries, medical malpractice, uh, and related type cases um, for about 35 years. And in addition to medical malpractice and personal injury, I also represent homeowners um, in construction defect actions where these homeowners would would, uh, make a life investment into their their home and buy a property that was defective and wasn't performing. So I've always been on... on the side of the consumer. And the thing that personal injury, medical malpractice and construction defect have in common uh, is that they, the lawsuits are all based on expert witness testimony. And so um, when you're a trial lawyer for one of those areas, um, each of those areas lend themselves to, to, the, uh, to the other. I met Matt about 20 years ago, and we're not just co-counsel, we're also um, very close friends, share the same philosophies, the same approach to life, the same approach to our cases, and we both become very close to our clients. And because I've been doing medical law practice for for so many years, Matt came to me um, with um, the proposal uh, of the project uh, to step into the COVID area. And um, we both um, throttled back on our uh, primary practices and um, picked up this new area, which is related to medical malpractice for sure, uh, but certainly cutting edge. And um, we've been a team for about, um, gosh, it's been about, what, six months now, and um, we're fighting the fight, and it's a big fight. A lot of people against us um, politically, philosophically, and legally. And um, thank goodness we're here because there aren't a lot of people here, a lot of lawyers in in this country that, number one, can do it, and number two, want to do it, and um, so we've, we picked up the um, picked up on it, and, and, and here we are.
3: Wow, such great information! And this is Stacy with Throughout All Ages Ministry. You can go to any um, podcast platforms to listen to all shows that are aired on kprz.com, and um, I want to share. I am Stacy with Throughout All Ages and we go we do apologetics. That means we look at information. What is true science? Well, science is testable, repeat, observable, testable, and repeatable. So as you're listening to what happened this last year with the pandemic, mask and redesimir, protocols of social distancing. I really want you to look what is true, science. And so right now, I want to look at putting myself in this category where Jenny did reach out to you. I haven't. Um, Besides sharing the story of reaching out to attorneys and fighting this case of a criminal act, people are afraid They're afraid that they're not trusting in God. They're afraid that someone might come after them. And we need encouragement. So what are the first steps to take as people, in my case, to reach out to you guys?
5: I think the first step is to locate an attorney that is willing to take on this type of a case because it's going against the establishment. And once you do, you just have to tell the truth. You have to be honest, forthright, and you're going to have to share your story. It's very painful. Uh, It's tough for Brian and I to listen to these stories. Um, But we go through all of it, and then we put on our legal hats, and we analyze the case, and we look for a way to bring a claim. Uh, One thing we've done with respect to remdesivir is we've, Uh, laser-beamed in on patient choice, a physician has a fiduciary duty to disclose to the patient what the therapies are that are available, if there's alternate therapies available, and what the risks of all of these different therapies are. And under California law, when a physician doesn't disclose this material information, it constitutes constructive fraud. So we are focusing on pursuing cases where a physician committed constructive fraud by keeping secret the fact that they were giving remdesivir in the first place, or if they even mentioned remdesivir, keeping secret the harm that it can cause, or keeping secret that there were alternatives that had different or less risk, and also the alternative of just not taking remdesivir at all. What's happened in a number of these cases is the patient or the patient's family is not being told at all that remdesivir is being given. And we can speculate as to why that's happening. Uh, One leading theory is it's money because there's a huge financial incentive for hospitals to have their physicians push this drug.
3: So you're um, bringing up redesimir, what are the side effects and what are the dangers with remdesivir?
5: They are very high dangers. Remdesivir is a failed Ebola drug. During an Ebola trial, 53% of the participants that received Remdesivir died, and the drug was pulled from the trial. It was then repurposed for COVID, and Gilead managed to push it through the FDA in late 2020. Fortunately, around that same time, the World Health Organization came out and recommended against the use of remdesivir for COVID. And the reason why was there was no showing that it helped prevent death. And for those that survived COVID, there was no showing that it shortened a hospital visit. Uh, In other words, it provided no medical assistance, But at the same time, the risk was organ failure, uh, which included kidney failure, liver failure, and heart failure, and then death. And what we have seen and published studies have shown is that if you're given remdesivir, you have a 20% or worse chance of developing kidney failure. And as compared to other drugs that are alternative therapies, the chance of getting acute kidney failure from remdesivir goes up by 3,000%. So it's a very deadly drug.
3: Wow. Going through what I went through, losing my husband to hospital protocol and COVID, this is hard to hear. And I'm sure if listening, you're a listener and lost your husband to COVID and hospital protocol. This is hard to hear, but this is the truth. They were giving our spouses a drug that did not get them better. In fact, it did lead to death. Now, was there money involved for when a patient was given radesomir when they had COVID?
5: Yes. There was a financial incentive to the hospitals, effectively a bonus. If a patient comes in and they are flagged as COVID positive, there's money. If they are admitted into the hospital with COVID, there's more money. If they are given remdesivir, there is a 20% bonus applied to the entire hospital stay bill. If the patient is then put on a ventilator, there's another large financial bonus. And if the patient is labeled as COVID death on their death certificate, there's another financial bonus. So there's a whole series of financial bonuses that can end up being hundreds of thousands of dollars per patient to treat a patient as having COVID, not focusing or addressing the use of remdesivir or the cause of Harm that that the remdesivir prevents presents and labeling the death as COVID when the death was not because of COVID it was because of the remdesivir and the non disclosure of treatment choice.
3: Do yeah.
5: you go sure. ahead, Brian? Sure, Stacy. Um, you
1: asked um, an initial question uh, of us um, as well as Jenny how how she found the lawyers how she how she found us. I think it's important to talk about that because lawyers are an interesting breed as well, just like doctors that are good lawyers. And there are lawyers with uh, questionable incentives. What happens in these cases is other attorneys watch what's going on and it becomes a cottage industry and they start jumping on the bandwagon after they see what the leaders in this area of new COVID litigation are doing. And the lawyer needs to be uh, the solution, not, not furthering a problem. So I think that uh, when, when people um, uh, lose a loved one, they have to be very careful not to fall into the wrong hands, into a, into a lawyer's office that is not an expert in COVID litigation, is not an expert in medical malpractice, and may not even be a trial lawyer. They just may be a litigator. And so it's important to look at the uh, background of the lawyers they're talking to, to make sure that they're part of the pioneering group that, um, uh, that, that uh, has the most experience and that knows medical mal- malpractice generally and that's a trial lawyer and a lawyer that cares about their, about their uh, clients um, beyond the financial incentive of the profession that we're, that we're in. And um, they need to be very careful and exercise due diligence before they just call a lawyer and, and sign up and, and think that um, they'll be on the road to success.
3: I agree. And it's so much comfort to know that my friend Jenny and more are coming to you guys and um, it brings trust when you know that someone else is already um, working with you. And I can't believe how much emotion. This is my sixth program on COVID, and I was only going to do four, but so much emotion on this topic. And um, so real quickly, I would like you to say, all right, what are, once someone finds an attorney, and before that, tell us one more time who you guys are and how someone can reach out to you.
5: Sure. Again, my name is Matthew Tyson. I'm an attorney in La Jolla, California, and I can be reached directly. I do all of my law practice on my mobile phone. My number is 619-787-0614, and my website is MatthewPTyson.com. Okay,
3: Brian.
5: Yeah,
1: and uh, Matthew and I um, work together as a team, so uh, whoever they call, whether it's it's me or Matt, uh, they'll end up getting the team. And we both get phone calls every day. Um, with uh new new cases to look at and uh, and to bring in but i'm also in san diego as matthew is and um um i do have an office phone but the cell phone's always the better way to reach me six one nine eight four zero nine eight five eight and email b gary at garylaw dot com b g a r r i e at g a r r i e law dot com but again they can call you the matter i we work as 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 a, as a partnership on these cases and um uh, they will get a team. They won't just get one lawyer.
3: Okay. Someone like me who has not reached out to attorney yet because they're afraid, What? once they reach out to you, they give their story. Um, people are afraid to go to the hospital and get the records. Please touch on that.
5: Well, the records are very important because Brian and I want to see them and we want to see them in electronic format because we've had uh, a number of cases where patient records were 4,000, 6,000, 7,000 pages long. So it's... A lot easier to deal with electronic records. The good news is most hospitals will have a web page where you can request the records online. And you just want to check all the boxes, fill in the fields to say you want all records and that you want to have them delivered to you electronic, And then they'll send you a disk, or they'll send you an email with a link, or they'll send you a link into their online portal where you can download files uh, and get those files, get them to an attorney for review. Um, and in our case, we'll also have other physicians and nurses review the records as well and begin analyzing the case. The worst thing I think that a victim can do is sit and do nothing because there are timelines involved. There are deadlines Involved and claims can expire. There are different deadlines for different types of claims. Medical negligence in California generally has a one-year deadline. Constructive fraud, which is the leading theory that we're using on these cases, fortunately, has a three-year deadline. And then medical battery, which involves a patient suffering physical harm from a treatment that they did not authorize, is two years. So we have some options legally, but it's imperative that a victim doesn't just sit and do nothing and let the clock keep ticking.
1: And also, if the hospital is a public hospital, a governmental entity. Um, the there's a shorter statute of limitations that applies to all of these claims, and that is six months six months, uh, the government claim must be submitted, not the lawsuit, but a government claim. And if the six-month deadline passes, it's possible to seek relief and permission from the court to file a late claim, Um, but it's not always granted. It depends on the circumstances. So if the um, family member lost a loved one at a hospital that is a public agency, uh, a district hospital, um, then uh, the six-month statute is critical to abide by. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, you, uh, delay delay is not uh, something that uh, right. they should do.
3: Well, I know we could go on for a long time and I'm going to have you guys back with success stories. Um, thank you so much for um, taking on these cases. I will be praying for you. And everyone, thank you for listening. We are here. We're apologetics. So we look at truth and and um, Give an answer for the hope that is in us. Thank you for joining us with Throughout All Ages Ministry, and we'll see you next time.
2: This has been Throughout All Ages fifteen thirty Apologetics. You can learn more about your host Stacy Gaona and how to support and get involved with fifteen thirty Apologetics by visiting throughoutallagesministries.com Ages Ministries.com. That's throughoutallagesministries dot com. Join Stacy again next week. Look for Stacy on any podcast platform under Throughout All Ages. Please subscribe. And leave a review. So I won't let the world around us tell me what to think or say
0: or do. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military.
1: Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first
0: audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells.